have a lot to sing about, don't we? We are loved by the King. And Paul the Apostle said that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable into his death. And Father, we know that your plan for us is to be conformed into the image and likeness of your dear son. I think of Paul's words and how, how challenging they are that I might know him. And here's a man that probably the mightiest man in the New Testament writing two-thirds of the New Testament scriptures saying that I might know him. Lord, we want to know you more. Comfort our hearts, reassure our hearts, strengthen our hearts for your purposes, for we do uh, live in perilous times. So we commit our hearts to you now. Speak to us that we be encouraged. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Good morning, everyone. For some of you that I haven't seen in a while, welcome back. Uh, we're departing from the book of Acts for today. I, I really believe that the Lord uh, just wants to encourage us. You know, that all that's taking place in the Middle East right now. So if you would open up your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we're going to be taking a look and examining verses 1 through 11. And today's message is entitled, as you can see, Reassuring Hope in Trying Days. I think we need reassuring hope because the days are trying. And as I begin today's message, I'm absolutely convinced, and I'm certain that most of you are too, that we are living in the last days. You know, we, we can sense it. You know, we, we can feel it in our spirit. We hear about it. And, of course, we know that Jesus is on the throne. The horrific attack on the nation of Israel uh, is a preview of what's to come. And I'm not going to teach on Ezekiel 38 and 39 this morning. However, I do want to make mention of it. Now is not the time for this attack as described in Ezekiel 38 and 39. And there's a lot of reasons for it. But it is a preview, I believe. Uh, in Ezekiel 38 and 39, Israel will stand alone. The U.S. isn't there to help. And we've got aircraft carriers, destroyers out in the Mediterranean Sea right now. The USS Eisenhower fleet is headed over there as we speak to come to the assistance of Israel. Uh, I don't know of any other nations really supplying that kind of assistance to Israel at this time. I'm sure there's plans, but... I don't believe anything is physically materialized just yet. Uh, the, the, the players, uh, the nations in this war right now, those are not all that are mentioned in Ezekiel 38 and 39. However, uh, there's a, a new war front opening up on the north, Hezbollah, in the border of Lebanon. And it's possible and probably likely that Syria will open up another front. So it could be three war fronts that Israel's facing, and, uh, and we were there to help. So now is not the time for the Gog and Magog invasion. It doesn't line up quite like the Bible says. So we say, well, if it doesn't line up with the scriptures, then it's not yet. So it, it's not yet. When that war comes, there's going to be an all-out assault on Israel. 
uh, many surrounding nations. Israel won't even be able to defend themselves. It, and it's all going to be victory to the glory of God. And Israel will go through judgment for rejection of the Messiah. Are we getting closer? Absolutely, we're getting closer. You know, what, what's the time frame? I don't know. God knows. And it's going to happen. And it's going to happen on God's timeline. So I want to encourage you not to be afraid. I mean, the enemy would have us to be afraid, that he, he would have a shaking in our boots. But what do we have to fear as, as Christians? We belong to Jesus. And he holds us in the palm of his hand. I'm grateful for that. As Christians, we need to understand that Jesus is coming back soon to take his bride home. The bride being the church, the true church that Jesus Christ purchased with his own shed blood. And it, he's coming back in this event called the rapture of the church to take up his bride, the body of Christ, physically, to meet with the Lord in the clouds and we'll be ever with him. So knowing this, we, you know, we ought to have a, a wide-eyed anticipation of his return. Today's message, I pray, gives you some increased hope and freedom from any end times despair that you might have and enable you to live a peaceful and fruitful life for Jesus in the midst of these dark days. Because Jesus desires that we would be fruitful. Not to throw our hands up and say, well, the end is coming. Well, the, the end is coming at some point. But you know what? There's, there's millions and millions of people on this planet that need to know Jesus Christ. You know a lot of them. I know a lot of them. And they need to come to Christ. Let's look at verses 1 through 11 of chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians. Paul the Apostle wrote this. He said, But of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write to you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. You are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation for God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even, even as also ye do. There's four things that I'd like to point out and share with you this morning as related to this passage. It's regarding the soon return of Jesus Christ. The first, the certainty of his coming, verses 1 and 2, Paul said, But of the times and of the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. Well, very clearly, the Thessalonian church had been instructed previously by Paul 
as he says in verse 1. He says, you have no need because I can't tell you when Jesus will return. But he's saying it's going to be soon. Jesus said this in Matthew 24, verse 36, that day and hour knoweth no man. There's been those that have declared dates, and all of them have been proven to be wrong, correct? There's those that will set dates, and if someone sets a date, you can say, well, you're, you're lying. Yeah. Jesus said, no one knows. And when he says no one knows, what's it mean? We don't know. No one knows. God hasn't revealed that. When the apostles asked Jesus in Acts chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, then they therefore were come together and asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. So no one knows when Jesus will return. Now, because we don't know when, don't think for even a millionth of a second that Jesus is not coming. The church has been waiting. The church continues to wait. The church has been waiting for millennia and will wait until God says, it's time. Well, what's God waiting for? 2 Peter 3, verse 9, gives us God's heart. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us word. In other words, he's very patient, not willing that any should perish and that all should come to repentance. You see, that's God's heart, is that none perish apart from him, and all come to repentance, turning from our ways and turning to the lover of our soul, the God who has died on the cross for us, the God who can and will forgive us of all of our sins. What's the Lord waiting for? Well, more clearly, who is he waiting for? You see, it's because of the Lord's mercy he hasn't come back yet. But one day, God's curtain of mercy will be drawn back and judgment will come. Aren't you thankful that the scriptures tell us that God is willing that none perish and all come to repentance? He's waiting for a fuller harvest of souls. And maybe he's waiting for you to come to him. Paul the Apostle would call it in the book of Romans, the last Gentile. So don't you be holding up the end times. <laughs> but you know, family, we, we need to understand that God is never early. God is never late. He's precisely on time. And when Jesus returns, it's going to be right on time. And how is he coming? Well, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 says, The Lord himself shall descend from heaven. Jesus will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel. There's going to be no announcement in, the, in, in advance. There'll be nothing on the news reports, nothing on the internet, nothing posted on media accounts, personal media accounts. But we know that times are getting close because of the times we live in and the seasons that we're in. So we must be ready. And I can say this with absolute certainty. We are closer today to his return than we were yesterday. That's a fact because he is coming at a time appointed. Verse 2 tells us that it's going to be a big surprise for yourselves. No, 
perfectly that the day of the Lord shall come as a thief in the night. Well, when Paul says as a thief in the night, it brings up a question. How does a thief come? Well, I'll tell you one thing. He doesn't leave a note on your door. He won't drop you an email detailing his arrival time. That's for people like Amazon and FedEx and all those folks. So it's coming on a certain time. No, no, a thief will not do that. When a thief comes, he's, he comes at a time that he's not expected. And so it will be when Jesus Christ returns to take his bride home. Paul uses this term, the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. And that expression, the day of the Lord, is used five times in the New Testament, but also 20 times in the Old Testament. What does it mean? Well, first, it means the church will be removed in the rapture. And immediately after the church is removed, the day of the Lord begins and will continue through the millennium period, which includes the seven-year tribulation period. Look at me at verse 3. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. They shall not escape, it says. And if you're a believer, if you are a blood-purchased believer, then this is not speaking of you. You will escape. You'll be taken away before. He's speaking of the unsaved, saying they will not escape. Well, escape what? Again, verse 3, sudden destruction comes upon them as a laboring woman. Well, what's the picture here? Once, Once a woman is in labor... I mean, I'm not talking Braxton Hicks contractions. I'm talking about in real labor, there's no turning back. It's going to happen. In other words, there's a certain certainty about that. As Paul is saying, there's going to be a certain destruction. The day of the Lord, Jeremiah 30, verse 7 says, Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. Now, the interesting thing that Paul points out in verse 3, the day of the Lord will come when they say peace and safety. It's like the calm before the storm, a period of perceived peace and safety just before the great tribulation. And I suspect there will be a sense of peace and safety because the, the troublemakers, it's us, the Christians will be removed. And it's going to be a time on earth that People will be considering to be a great party. Those Christians are gone. The fun spoilers. And man will do as he chooses without a moral check of the church and the presence of God's Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit of God who dwells in us, God says, I'm taking my spirit away. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 7 and 8 says this, For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. That's speaking of the Holy Spirit. Restraining the evil forces, the demonic forces. And you might think, well, gee, there's still a lot of demonic forces. Well, can you imagine what it's going to be like when God's Holy Spirit removes his his power? And he continues, and then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The lawless one, the Antichrist. So life will continue on during that period. You know, after the church is removed, life's going to continue on just as in the days of Noah. 
Matthew 24, verses 37 through 39 says, But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days, of, for as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Life just continued on. Marrying, giving in marriage, eating, drinking, having a good time, certainly mocking and scoffing and so on, just as they did with Noah. Here's this guy building an ark for 120 years. What in the world are you doing? It's going to rain. What's rain? He became the talk of the town. Until, until God said to Noah, Noah, it's time. Get in the ark. And I'll shut you in and protect you. And that's the picture that Jesus paints for us. As he shut in Noah, when Jesus comes back and brings his bride home, we're protected. He protects us. We will be removed to a place of eternal safety. And just as Noah and his family were removed to a place of safety within the ark, we will be in this place of the ark of Jesus Christ, securely tucked in by him and held and protected by him. The second point I want to bring up is the present darkness. Look at verses 4 through 7 once again. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that 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 day should overtake you as a thief. You are all the children of light and the children of the day, and you are not of the night or of dark, nor of darkness. Therefore, let us sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. Let us not sleep, excuse me, as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. Now, do you, do you sense, family, that we're living in, a, in the days of great moral darkness? I think we're surrounded by it. Do you sense a spiritual darkness? I mean, what we see taking place in the Middle East right now, some of the horrific details of that, it, it's all demonic. We know that Satan's behind it all. Do you sense some darkness in, in, in the political machine, in the political environment we live in? I mean, there's darkness everywhere. Can you feel it in our social system? And the world, in so many ways, is crumbling around us, and many, many people don't even realize it. We're going on just as the days of Noah. Just carrying on life. We see liberal thinking everywhere. When I talk about liberal thinking, I'm talking about thinking that contradicts the Word of God. Maybe we ought to call it anti-biblical thinking. But you know, it's even crept into churches. And it very, very much saddens me. We see the kingdom of the Antichrist being built all around us, and you and I are being accused of being evil and spreading evil because we won't submit to the ways of the world or the world system. Paul says in verse 5, you are children of light. Don't forget that. We are children of light. You're not a child of darkness. And guess what, family? It's a time to shine, for us as believers to shine like never before. The world is asleep being intoxicated by lust and greed and power and immorality, drunkenness, drugs, the occult and devil worship, but don't be discouraged by any of that. 
because Jesus is coming back and we need to be ready. And we as a church, we need to wake up so we're not lulled to sleep like those around us. Verse 6 says, let's not sleep as others. And you know, there's a, there's a principle that exists in normal life called a just noticeable difference. You know, changes can take place and people don't even notice it until it gets to a certain point in time. For example... Say, week after week, we just began to dim the lights in here just a little bit. You wouldn't even notice it. But after a month, it's getting dark in here. You know, and that's the way the world is headed. There's these changes, some which are very subtle, barely noticeable. People say, well, it's okay. Things are just kind of progressing as they progress. Society is evolving. Morals are evolving. And it's no big deal. But I believe it's a principle that Satan uses to move society to his way of thinking. A little bit at a time. And people continue to nod their heads in agreement. You know, I think about the electronic age in which we live, where people can be uh, tracked quite easily, and we know there's going to be a day when the people willingly take this mark of the beast. But, you know, even today, you know, society's being conditioned by that. You know, there's cameras everywhere. People are being tracked everywhere. There's an ability they have to inject something under your skin so that they can follow you along. And people are looking at that and saying, gee, you know, that's not a bad thing. If I, if I get lost, somebody's going to find me. I can put it in Fido. Somebody will find my dog. Heads are nodding like this, right? Oh, this is all really good stuff. We're being conditioned. To believe these things are good when God says, no, there's going to come a point in time when you're going to realize how bad it really is. You know, we see it everywhere. There was a day when people used cash. Did you ever go to a store and say, well, you don't take cash here? Uh, what? No, no, no. Well, think about, think back in, in the, uh, the pandemic time. I remember going into Walmart one day, and they said, well, you don't take cash here anymore. What do you mean you don't take cash? We well, don't take cash here anymore. I'll leave my bag right here then. So we've gone from cash, cards, electronics, the chip, ultimately the mark of the beast. How can we fight against this darkness? And Paul tells us. He says, "Watch and be sober." He said, be serious. That's what that word sober means. Be serious. Not that we can't have fun, but be serious regarding the times and the seasons in which we live, which means to be self-controlled. Turn on the light. Turn on the brightness that you are in Jesus Christ because it's only the light that fights off darkness. And that's what God is speaking to his church. The alarm clock is about to ring, and, and God is saying, wake up. Be watchful, be serious, be sober. And yet, sometimes we, we trudge to church. Oh, I've got to go to church on Sunday. Not you guys. You're here today. <laughs> or maybe on Sunday morning, I'd, I'd rather kind of, you know, this, this bed feels really good. It's being lulled to sleep, isn't it? And believe me, there's days that 
I'd love to sleep in on Sunday morning. Jake says, you can't do that. <laughs> You're supposed to share the word of God today. Oh, I'm just kidding. But you know what happened during, um, during the, the quote-unquote pandemic? You know, when we were closed for three months, and as I had shared with you before, we're not going to close again. No. We're not going to close. But when we did, and I would come in here on a Saturday evening or afternoon and, and record a message before nobody, and it was kind of hard. Because I like to see your beautiful smiling faces. But then on Sunday morning, you know, we'd sit on the couch in the family room watching it on television. Hey, this is nice. I get used to this. <laughs> That's being kind of lulled to sleep, isn't it? And you know, let's face it, there's many people that haven't returned because sofas can become very comfortable and cozy on a Sunday morning with a cup of coffee and a bagel or whatever. So don't be fooled. Don't be lulled to sleep because Jesus is coming. And he's coming like a thief in the night. And with all that's taking place in the world right now, we need to be on our spiritual toes. You know, world maps, I mean, they've changed over the years. They're going to change again. And will continue to change as nation rise up against nation, as the world rises up to oppose radical Islam and terrorism. Where's it going to end? It's going to end at the return of Jesus Christ. But there are too many Christians going through the motions when we ought to be watchful, when we ought to be serious, when we, we ought to be concerned. And not only that, we ought to be praying rather than playing. Not that we can't have fun, but there comes a time when we need to dig our heels in and pray. And I think now is the time. That's what being survey is all, or sober is all about. You know, take a visual survey. Next time you, you go out to a restaurant, if you go to a restaurant, or maybe a, a store, just take a look around and see how many people are just playing. Playing with tablets, phones, you name it. When they could be enjoying communicating one another over a meal. I've seen, and it kind of sickens me sometimes, I've seen parents sitting at a table and their two or three little kids sitting across from them and mom and dad are on their phones doing stuff. And the kids are kind of looking at each other, you know. It's like, that's playing, isn't it? Life has become a playground rather than a playground. We need to be people of prayer. We need to be sober. We need to be serious about the times in which we live. I, maybe we would be as Samson, you know, so wrapped up in life that, that Samson didn't even realize that the Spirit of God had departed from him. I find it to be one of the saddest verses in all the Bible, Judges 16, verse 20. He fell asleep, he slumbered, he fell asleep in the lap of Delilah. Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 26, 41, watch and pray. He says that to us too. Watch and pray lest you, you enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. And Jesus told them to watch and pray because he knew they'd get sleepy. And do you, if you think that those words are only for them, 
Uh-uh. Those are words for us too. Watch and pray so we don't fall into a spiritual slumber. And it's easy to do, isn't it? How do I fall into a spiritual slumber? Well, I stop reading the Word of God. I stop fellowshipping. I stop praying. And before you know it, we're slumbering. And when we spiritually slumber, we get very, very weak as Christians. Third point for today. We're to get dressed. What are you and I to be like in the surrounding darkness? Verse 8 says, But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Let us, those of the day and light, get dressed. There's two things we need to put on. The breastplate of faith and love and the helmet, the hope of salvation. It's those two things that we better protect. And Paul instructed the church at Thessalonica, and he's instructing us too, we need to protect our hearts and our heads, don't we? To protect our hearts is to put on the breastplate of faith and love. You see, in these last days, it's in a surrounding darkness, you are the light, and your faith and the promises of God should be unmistakable, and they should be unshakable. Others must see the hope that lies within you. You know, when people are running around panicking about the things that are taking place, and yes, we're, we're concerned about those things, absolutely, our hearts break for those that are suffering, but I can't panic. You and I can't panic, and others need to see that, that we're trusting the Lord Jesus Christ with our future, with our present, because he has gone ahead and purchased our lives, and we belong to him. We can become down in the mouth in the condition of the world, but others must see the undefiled, uncompromised love of Christ in you and through you. Our love for others must abound more and more. And it's easy for us to get hardened, isn't it? Especially with, us, with what's going on. We can get hardened and people don't see that love anymore. They can sense that, hey, you know what? You know what, Dan? You're, you, you claim to love the Lord, but you're cynical. I don't want to be cynical. I want to trust my Lord and Jesus Christ. He's my hope. So we're also to put on the hope of the, the hope of salvation. And the word hope that Paul uses isn't a I wish. I wish there was a salvation. No, it's a divine certainty, something we can't just can't wait to happen. It's the kind of excitement we need to have because it's founded upon the word of God. And if God says it's so, then guess what? It's so. We have the rock-solid hope of salvation. If you understand the scriptures and you believe what God is telling you, then your hope won't fade. Then you won't have a cynical attitude. You have a hope in the promises of God. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, For all the promises of God in him are yea and in him amen unto the glory of God. You have hope because you have Jesus. That's where our hope lies, isn't it? 2 Corinthians 5, verse 1 says, For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, 
a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So we've, we've talked about the day of the Lord. We've touched on the world as a dark place in which we live. We looked at our role as beacons of light, how we're to get dressed. We've been instructed in, to become sober and serious and watchful. We've learned what, it, what we need to put on, the breastplate of faith and love to protect our hearts. And upon our heads, we're to wear the hope of salvation. And that word salvation is a Greek word, soteria, means deliverance. We've been delivered. In fact, we're going to be delivered again in the rapture of the church. That brings us to a fourth point. Again, you're delivered, rescued, verses 9 and 10 says this. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. I'm thankful that the word of God says that we're not appointed to wrath. In other words, you don't have an appointment with wrath, but you do have an appointment with salvation, deliverance, by Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And if Jesus, Jesus promises it, you know what? He's going to deliver it. His promises never fail. I mentioned deliveries earlier. Sometimes FedEx and UPS, never the U.S. Postal Service, uh, make delivery claims that sometimes fail. I said that for, for Pastor Angela's benefit. But Jesus Christ will never fail. You are delivered God's wrath is not for his children. It's for those that reject him. Let me ask a question. Why would God submit his own to his wrath? He wouldn't. God's holy wrath against sin was carried out on Calvary for those that believe by faith. The wrath of God that I've deserved has already been done, executed on Jesus. And remember Noah. Before God brought judgment, he delivered Noah, and he delivered all those that trusted, and we know it was only a handful, right? Remember when God brought judgment to Sodom and Gomorrah, what did he do first? He spared Lot. What will God do with you and me and all his children of faith? He will deliver us from the judgment and wrath. Why? Because you are his he purchased you. He purchased me with his own shed blood. He loves you, and he cares for you. And yes, he will chastise you and me when we slip, but you know what? He's not going to destroy us. And because of this truth, that it's a reality for you, here's a word to do. Verse 11, wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also you do. There's no more comforting and edifying truth than the soon coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now again, why is it such a comfort and why do we long for his coming? Well, it's because the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is going to be taken out before the tribulation, before the day of the Lord comes. And if a person is already home with Jesus when Jesus returns, praise God. Verse 10 says, we'll live together with him. And if you're here, you'll be taking up. And verse 10 says, you'll live with him forever. That's a good long time, isn't it? You can't lose with Jesus. 
You see, we're always, always, always we're on the winning side. Now, I cannot believe that the church will go through the great tribulation period. I cannot believe that. There's some that teach that. There's some that embrace that. They mock those that believe in the pre-tribulation rapture. If the great tribulation comes before Jesus comes, what kind of hope would you have? How could you possibly bring comfort by telling them they're subject to the wrath of God? Be comforted. Because Jesus is coming back. If the church was to go through the great tribulation period, our only hope would be the grave as a way of escape. But the Lord is addressing those of us that are alive and well, and he says, comfort one another and build up one another in the faith. Encourage each other. If you see a brother or sister getting down about the times in which we live, then it happens. We're not immune to that. Encourage them in the scriptures and remind them, remind one another that, yes, the times in which we live, yes, they're perilous, but I serve, you serve, we belong to Jesus, and he's coming back soon. And I'm wondering how many can say if Jesus Christ were to come at this moment, like a thief in the night, suddenly to take, up his, take away his church, how many would say, I'm ready? How many can say that? If you can, if you can say, I'm ready for Jesus to come back because I am purchased by him. I've trusted in him. He has forgiven me of my sin. I can say, therefore, I am ready. And if you can say that, then I say, praise God. But if you can't say that, if there's uncertainty in your heart, and you're thinking, well, if he were to come back to bring his true bride, his church home, then I'm not sure then you need to be concerned. Well, if you're concerned, there's good news. Because today, you can put on that breastplate of faith and love. You can put on that helmet of salvation. You can be saved today, once and for all, now and forever, by trusting in Jesus Christ. And you know, that's God's heart. That's his plan. That's why he came to earth to save sinful man from their sin. Who else can make that claim? You know, there's many, many religions in the world, but not one of them has a Savior, a legitimate Savior. Only Jesus. Would you trust in Jesus today? Would you place your trust in Him Listen, eternity is a long, long time. And I can assure you that an eternity apart from Jesus Christ would be a very painful, agonizing eternity rather than on the other side, an eternity of joy, peace, love, hope, promise, all the wonderful attributes that Jesus has will be revealed to us. And we'll get to heaven and not a single one of us will ever say, I'm a little disappointed in this. <laughs> Those words will not come from anybody's mouth. We'll be worshiping and praising Jesus day after day after day after day forever. And it can't get any better. 
So if you'd like to receive Jesus today, then please, please pray with me. And Lord, I, I came in here today just so wrapped up in the things of the world and uncertain, uncertain of the times, uncertain of my future. But today, I want a future with hope and promise, the hope of salvation. So I come to you, I bring my heart to you right now. I bring my sin to you. And I realize that my sin is an offense to you. It has separated me from you. But I choose not to be separated any longer. Forgive me, please, of all of my sin. I bring it to you and know that when you went to the cross and you poured out your life, when you bled and died, you did it for me. And I trust you. I trust you, Jesus, with my eternity. I trust you with my present life. I trust you with everything I have in me, and I pray that you would help me to trust you even more tomorrow. I invite you to be Lord of my life, my ruler, and I want to be your servant. And help me to do that, please. For you have given me new life. I know that when you rose from the dead, you rose from the grave, you rose to an eternal life in heaven with your Father. And this is what I want. And this is what you've just given me. And I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.